You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here we are again, and let's play the fanfare because we've got a win again, boys. Aston Villa, finally, we've won at Villa Park. And it's been, well, it's almost cartoonish in what happened on the game. Mighty Mouse starred again, amongst others. But it was more about Bambi and Dick Dastardly on the pitch in the Villa shirts, as far as we're concerned. We'll get into the, uh, well, all the relative details of such um, buffoonish behaviour as we go through this podcast, reviewing a win for Brighton. 2-1 away at Aston Villa. With me is Peter. Hello, Peter, as usual. Good to see you again. Hi, Russ. Good to see you too. Excellent. And we have a welcome return to Andy Not, How are you, Andy? Thank you for inviting me back. No idea what you're doing. <laughs> Why would I do such a thing? we keep up our <laughs> Andy quotas. <laughs> yeah, we're awash with Andys, and, and why not? They're, they're all great. Um this particular incarnation is, has got a big smile on his face because of the results. So too has Peter, and so have I. Um, let's get straight to it. The game, well, we, we set up with a 3-5-2. It was a welcome return to Solly Marsh in the wing-back role on the left. Two up front with Morpé and Welbeck starting again. And a return to the centre-back uh, for Captain Donkey. 2-1 um, win. Um, overall, um, I think a good performance, although... Anything could have happened. It was quite an open game, wasn't it, guys? Should I go? Should I jump in first? Yeah, one of you. One of you um, can. <laughs> yes, it was. It was very open, especially the first half. I thought it was like it was actually interesting watching match of the day at the at on Saturday, and there was nothing on match of the day from our second goal until Lamptey's first booking. So actually, the second half you realised actually was pretty mundane and dull actually in the end. But the mm. first half was really end to end. There was a lot of chances. Could have been three all, arguably, or whatever, four all even at half time, but actually ended up obviously being one nil to us. I think the refreshing thing is, as well as being a win where we've done really well, and it, it was the fact that we we won a game that was quite tight. It wasn't a game where we dominated. It wasn't. A, in fact, we had less possession and less shots, and we managed to beat a team on that basis. We recovered from their goal straight after half time, which is a you know, really bad time to concede. I thought generally. And yeah, I thought actually we played pretty well generally, but we, it, was, it was an evenish game and we don't tend to win those under Potter. So it was a really uh, positive overall, I thought. 
Yeah, we'll get into the decision side of things in that regard as well in, in due course. But would you agree with that in general, Andy? And it was an open game. It was enjoyable, wasn't it? Especially the first half. Yeah, Apart from I, the anxiety. <laughs> uh, I, I agree with, um, as usual, actually, with most of what Peter's had to say. I'd almost describe this slightly as the kind of mirror image of, or the alter image, yeah, that would be better, of what our normal games are, which are, um, I suppose, glorious defeats, aren't they? Um, because I thought Villa were really good. Um, I agree with Peter that, especially the first half, it was a really good game. Um, I I don't think that gap in match of the day necessarily means that what happened um, was quite dull. It's it's purely because they have the editing process to do, don't they? Mm. Um, So, yeah, I found it quite tense. Um, I thought there were a lot of good performances from our players in there. Um, I thought Villa were good. But having said that, I think we probably carved out the best opportunities. I agree with Peter in what he's saying that um, we could have had a few goals. I, I thought at half time we could have even had three or four goals, actually. Some very, very presentable opportunities. Um, I can't remember too many um, decent opportunities that we managed to carve out in the second half, apart from Solis one, but um, that's probably more to do with my dodgy memory rather than um, anything else. But um, I suppose we effectively took one more chance than they did when it came down to it because, um, yeah, I mean, certainly that Trezeguet miss in the first half um, was very poor, I think, on on their account. He, He should have buried at least one of those two chances in the same passage of play. Um, and that would be what well, he kind of fell over when six yards out and should have shot as well. Well, I, I thought that was actually an outstanding tackle from Ben White, who, I mean, we, we can speak about players. I, I mean, the one just before Trezeguet's chances, it was, it was a ball into him, wasn't it? And he kind of tripped, fell over almost while trying to toss it home. And that's when it bounced back to Trezeguet, Trezeguet afterwards. OK. Yeah, right. the one, yeah, the other one was a brilliant tackle from White, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that was an outstanding tackle. It's absolutely brilliant. And from the position he was in, coming from behind, to have managed to make the tackle without conceding a foul, genuinely, yeah. um, was... hard as well, probably. So he'd have... Yeah, it's a huge risk. And, um, you know, he, t- he took it with balls of steel he, and he, he took the ball and he... Um, uh, that, that was, a, a well, definitely a goal-saving challenge without yeah. any doubt at all. Because it's straight in if he, if he doesn't make it. Um I mean, it started well, didn't it? It was a lively game to start with. We got the goal after 12 minutes. Um, I think it was pretty sure it was uh, Morpé that laid it off to Lalana to play the through ball. Um, there was shades. It was yeah. a great through ball, wasn't it? And to be honest, although less damning of Villa's defence than United's, but there was something of a similarity with that uh, European goal conceded by Man United a couple of weeks ago, where he was in isolation in his own half with a run on clear run on goal the whole way, wasn't he? So from a Villa point of view, they'll probably be pretty annoyed. However, that, that man we're talking about, Danny Welbeck, um, had a clear path. He's not Glenn Murray, so he was able to stay ahead of uh, the challenging defenders chasing him behind him. Um, and he, he kept ahead of his man. Um, I think it was Conte, wasn't it, trying to close in on him. And a composed finish, showing his experience, showing exactly the sort of stuff that we wanted to have in the team, composure in front of goal, um, chips the goalie, 
uh, good finish. And on what's only a second start, isn't it, for the club, he's already got underway. Um, great goal all round from our point of view, wasn't it? Um, Peter? Yeah, sort of thing we've bought in both him and Lalana for, really, isn't it? I mean, yes, most teams aren't going to defend that further, far forward in their own art, in the opposing team's half from a throw-in yeah. and, you know, you run in behind like that. I mean, it was ridiculous defending, but, you know, there yeah. other options will turn up and if he can take them like that. He's obviously not got a great goal-scoring record well back. I think 10 goals is the most he's got in the season. Um, mm-hmm. But if he can contribute like he did on Saturday all round, stay fit and get the get goals like a few goals like that and, yeah, help yeah, Mel his all-round play was was good, game. wasn't it? Yeah, if you can yeah, keep it going, it certainly. Game overall, it wasn't just the goal. It Absolutely, was the, yeah. That flick through for Malpe for the one where he went one-on-one with Martinez was brilliant. Yeah, which was also a good through ball initially from Webster, who um, yeah. had a couple of key moments in the game. I think he, there were some criticisms again of perhaps of Webster. We'll get to that maybe later, but but he did make a crucial block at one point, and that through ball for yeah. for Welbeck to flick onto Malpe could and possibly should have led to another goal. Um, I think Shearer said he should have gone round him, actually, and probably he yeah, could have, it could have been right. similar to the Watford goal on his debut. Um, I think that's the time last outside his area. He can't touch him. Yeah. He can't go for it with his hands because he, he'd be sent off. So he yeah. has to let him go round him. And even if he goes wide, he might be able to set someone else up in that scenario because yeah. um, you've still got them on the back foot at the time. And they but, keep um, out. So it's a... yeah. But Andy, on that, on that goal, I mean, as you said, brilliant through ball, wasn't it? And Lalana, as you said, it, it was the instinctive, the quickness of it. Morpé lays it off. He hits it first time. Um, he knew where the player was, was he just knocked it straight out. So you could gain the advantage of a good counter attack. Um, early action is the key, isn't it there? Yeah, it is. And, and there we've, um, signed a couple of players for no money. Um, uh, and I mean, Lalana is just a class player. Um, really, really enjoying watching him um, because he, his vision is 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 amazing. Um, so, yeah. you know, the extent to which we can keep him fit, I think, is um, going to probably be a key factor in um, how many points we can get. I'll probably stress that slightly more than where we um, finish within the table itself. Yeah. Um, in terms of Welbeck. Um, let me let me infuse with praise and then kind of uh, um, note a couple of words of caution about Welbeck. Um, I agree with your description, um, Russell. You know, it showed his pace um, and it was a composed finish. And his, uh, as as you both said, I think um, his all round game was was excellent. You know, he he was pushing for a man of the match um, in that game. Uh, he's got pace, which was very much in evidence um, for that goal. Um, he's got height. Um, he's he's better in in the air than I remembered. Um, mm. Great run in, great movement. Um, Decent enough strength, um, and as I think Peter has kind of alluded to, um, the interplay with Mope was really, really encouraging. I thought um, hmm. not that um, Mope had again the best of of games, um, hmm. and having Welbeck there certainly gives us the option of playing. You know. Uh, those threaded through balls that Lalana can play, but also longer balls that our um, centre backs can play. Mm. I think think slightly more. Um, which, you know, what Villa were trying to do, and um, 
the one thing I think I probably kind of raised is up until the point at which um, we scored, we weren't really in the game. Um, they they were having all the possession. Um, probably something worth flagging up in terms of the entire game is that they had so many corners and free kicks. Free kicks, you know, yeah. Like Grealish winning. Uh, Even in the first minute, they won a free kick, didn't they? Conning. So just to show. Yeah. Um, and um, there was a stat that I saw yesterday, I think, that Brighton have conceded the most goals from from set plays uh, in mm. the Premier League. Um, and I just... Although, conversely, they do include penalties. And so I always find that stat a bit pointless in some ways because if you get a penalty from open play, that's kind of like mm. it's not the same as scoring from a corner or a free kick or something. Yeah. So it's a bit of a... We've conceded, I think, four penalties this season. So yeah, of the nine, five, four of only five of them are from, which isn't great still in, in nine games. Mm. Or, don't get me wrong, but yeah. it's as bad as nine. Yeah, yeah. well, I, I, I think our best way of cutting, um, and, and perhaps I am slightly over-concerned about um, us conceding from set pieces, but I still think the best way to address that is to actually try and cut them off at source. Um, I not not allow them so many corners, not allow them so many free kicks. Apparently, yeah, the conversely, we've also conceded the most fouls in the Premier League this season, which is also partly to do with it, presumably. Or... Yeah, but um, that, interestingly, um, Matt Upson was commentating on the Leeds Palace game um, and he was talking about the kind of intensity and the aggression that would be in that game. It's the one that Palace won 4-1. Um, and he was contrasting it with um, the game that he'd see, seen when we'd played Palace. And he said that it was more of a passive game. Uh, and I think that's, I think there's something in that. But that stats about fouls does actually... Um, well, at least slightly challenge this view that we've got, you know, we're too nice. That there, there is this view that's come up, um, and I, I, th- I think I accept it. Um, but yeah, well, I, think, yeah I think we, I think we don't commit the right fouls. It sounds ridiculous to say. Yeah. No, no. players break through and, um, you know, and kind of like walk through our defences. I'll give you an example of not from our point of view, but from sort of anyone saw the Chelsea game on Saturday before ours. But the second, the first. Second, second Chelsea goal, I think it was. Werner walked between two Newcastle defenders. And to me, that's a classic point when you should... It's like just before, after the halfway line, you cut, you cut him down at the source. You don't let him go any further. Instead, he walks past a couple of players there and with no one touched him. And he ended up setting up a goal. And it's like, just trip him, take the yellow card. And, we, and, and it, similarly to what Newcastle did there, we don't tend to do that. But we do give away a lot of silly fouls in and around the area. Maybe like, like Grosh's one for the... You know, he miscontrolled it slightly, but there was no real danger to the for the foul for the um, for the goal the other day. Um, hmm. You know, there was no. We gave it away a couple of times, poor passes. I think Lamptey's pass got intercepted, so he won it back, and then we got it back, and Grosh miscontrolled it, and he just could have left it then, not done the thing, and just kind of like shielded, you know, Greenish away. But instead, he kind of kind of stuck his leg out, and Greenish, obviously being Greenish, went down, and hmm. they got a free kick. And yeah, from there, obviously, I mean, there's an interesting bits I saw on like North Stand Chat and other places that saying that, you know, if someone's offside position and then they block Webster going through, trying to trying to go back and try and cover the man, how are they not interfering with play? 
It's an interesting mm. question, the old interfering with play thing, because Webster was marking um, Konza and he was blocked by their guy. So, in essence, he is interfering with play. I mean, what's what, you know, by blocking off one of our players. So, mm. I mean, I don't really understand the point of not interfering with play if you're, you're blocking off the ma- a man marker. Surely you are. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, well, match of the day, build and Gary Lineker um, build it as uh, the the game between the team that concedes the most and wins the most, didn't he? And we all know what Grealish can get up to. As I said, right in the first minute, he started as he meant to go on, winning a free kick for them in in our attacking third. And uh, it carried on throughout. Um, but the key moments of the game obviously went in our favour when it came down to it. The first um, first thing was a goal, of course. The second attack was another Welbeck chance. Um a nice through ball. Welbeck tried to take it in his stride with enough on it to drag it away from the Villa defender, which he knew he was going to have to do. Unfortunately, actually, I think he overestimated how much he needed to put on that. And it just stretched out a little bit. Similar to the um, the previous match, actually, it was a similar touch where he couldn't couldn't really get into the one-on-one situation. That might be kind of um, matched up, of course, isn't it? Kind of like his first few games, having not played for a while. Yeah. 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 I mean, that... that um informs my kind of note of caution uh, about Welbeck is um, he's he hasn't got a great scoring record in the Premier League. And if you consider he's played for two high-scoring teams in Man United and Arsenal, um, I think that was his 45th Premier League goal. Um, and I suppose that also feeds into the other point that I really want to make about him is he hasn't really tended to play as a central striker, the most advanced central striker, which is um, what he's, where he's playing uh, alongside Mopé. Mopé's dropping deeper and slightly more on the left, I think, as well. Mm. Um, certainly with this, the personnel that have played in the last couple of games. Um, you know, people will speak to his kind of in- injuries and so forth, but... Um, I think I did raise the um, uh, the fact that he got 16 international goals in 44 appearances, um, which looks great. But um, he's one of the few players in recent years who've done better for England than they have for their clubs, arguably. So yeah. it's a rarity. Like generally, it's the other way around. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Um, I suppose all, all I'm trying to do is exercise a little bit of um, caution. Just in yeah, case. No, I agree completely. And he's, his injury record in recent years is not great either. So, the, yeah, the, we have to... which is why he's come to us, frankly. I mean, if he was, even mm. if he wasn't scoring loads, he'd probably still be at a higher club if he was, especially on a free transfer, if he if his fitness was better. Mm. And he, yeah. But, but you know, at, no, you no. Know, at, at the moment, he he looks such a good signing for us. Yeah. Just, just what we needed. Uh, because... Um, it was expressed that we'd lost Murray um, over the summer. I, I never thought that we had. I never thought that Murray would play much. Um, I, I didn't think that... I don't think Murray's actually played, looked like a Premier League player since halfway through Hewton's yeah. last season. Yeah. If he definitely dropped that, that, that second season yeah. afterwards. Yeah. I mean, what, On the other hand, what, though, he, that, that one start he had last year in the league, he did make a big difference at West Ham. Yeah, he did. He did. No, agreed. Um, yeah. I don't want to. Uh, uh, I don't want to um, forget about 
what he's given us because he's been amazing. I think, oh, I think yeah, absolutely. we just didn't have any other options other than, well, other than Connolly and Malpe and Zakiri, who no one really knows if he'll be any good because he played in the Swiss second division last season. And that mm. was where the worry was. Yes, I agree. I think Murray's at his age shouldn't really be, we shouldn't be relying on him at his age in the Premier League. But yeah. it was the fact that we hadn't signed anyone else and now we have. Really, yeah, it was, it was really sort of like a case of us um, replacing what we'd already lost, wasn't it, in one sense? Um, class and experience, uh, composure that we mentioned earlier, those sort of elements and that central striker position. That, that combination of things is what we were lacking from, as you said, halfway through that last season season. Which is surprising mm. well back, isn't he? It's like, yeah. He's 30 this week, I gather. Um, yeah. I felt he was older than that. He's been around a long time. Yeah, yeah he, he, if, came, he came through very young. But going back to Murray, he's not getting—he's on the bench, but he's not getting off the bench for Watford. Yeah. And that's telling, that, isn't it? Watford are winning. You thought you'd do a good job off the bench, holding the ball up late on. Yeah, and that breakaway from from Welbeck did remind me of that occasion at the Amex. <laughs> he had even more of a head start than what Welbeck did, and turned round. <laughs> who is that? Again? I can't remember who it was against now. Arsenal. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was a classic, absolute classic. But yeah, I mean, yeah, you had limitations, Murray. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so so effectively, we've improved on what we had under Murray in more recent times because of the fact that he's got a bit of pace as well. Um, yes, the injuries are the only thing we'll need to, to keep an eye on the fitness in general. But if we can keep him fit more or less this season same with Lalana. those two add class and experience and they can maybe enhance the the um, performances of others around them both in training and in match games match day scenarios in terms of you know experience signing Veltman at the back as well I mean he's been around yeah. a long time he's played a lot of big games for Ajax can only help the likes of you know Webster and White who are relatively new to top flight football I agree. I mean, that, those three as additions to the squad are, are just extraordinarily good for £900,000 combined. Um, I I mean, what, what people are forgetting is that we actually have spent quite a lot of money on some other players, youngsters, effectively. Mm. Um, That's right. We're building for the future. The spectrum, really. The experienced players for the squad currently and then younger players to really kind of for the future and maybe mm. not maybe the prime age ones who are going to be the most expensive, probably, arguably, like 25 to 28. Yeah, it was about getting those fillers in, wasn't it, for this this initial yeah. period. Um, and then the players that we've got who are sort of middling in terms of development can then step onto the next level by the time they're ready to retire. Um, and then then by which time, hopefully, these youth players will start to come into the team as well. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's looking good. It certainly makes the whole perspective on the division suddenly seem a lot more relaxed, doesn't it? I know it's only three points and we're still not too far away from danger, but it, it feels so much more optimistic, doesn't it, after having seen us, A, break our duck at Villa, for one thing, and secondly, to have a game, as you said, where it was it was in the balance and we, we came out the right side of it for a change. Um we're mentioning good finishing, clinical finishing for a change being one of the telling factors for us. Um, Aston Villa didn't quite have the same level of good finishing, did they? The aforementioned Dick Dastardly, who we'll get into in his later antics later in the game, had a wonderful chance to score, didn't he? <laughs> the first bit was the aforementioned block by Webster. Um, his second attempt at the ball um, was a brilliant finish, um, if you're sitting in row Z and wanted to catch it, that is if there were any fans of the game. Um, dreadful finishing, wasn't it, from Trezeguet there? Um, thankfully, 
that was a, that was a big let off. Webster's obviously got a lot of stick, but actually he let he he actually covered for both Dunk and White there because Dunk was yeah. on the halfway line, and then White was turned very easily by Watkins there. On the whole, I thought it had a really good really good game, but Watkins beat him rather too easily outside the area when they were breaking in, and then yeah, um, yeah then I think it was the one where Watkins almost couldn't quite get on the end of it. It kind of like slipped almost, and then it bounced to Trezeguet, who yeah, I mean. I thought he must score both times, to be honest. I mean, yeah. I've talked up Webster before. I, I think he had his poorest game of the season, but it was primarily his passing. I mean, I, I take that yeah. football that you, you, yeah. you have highlighted. Uh, his passing was just all over the place. But um, the, the two things that I want to raise is his ball carrying. Again, that was very much in evidence. And his defending, which is really underrated, actually. Hmm. Yes, one thing yeah. with with the game we've got at the weekend, we can't afford to be giving the ball away like he did on Sunday, Saturday. Liverpool yeah, because Liverpool, today. all those injuries, of course, they're, they're bound to be much weaker, aren't they? Boom, 3-0 against Leicester. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's ominous, isn't it? Well, Salah, yeah, Salah sounds right. like he's back anyway, so mm. that's yeah. helpful. Yeah, exactly. Lovely, just what we needed. Um, we, we've already mentioned the chance that Morpay had uh, from the flick from... Welbeck, which was one of the other chances that came up next in the match. Um, Villa came close with a couple of things. Overall, I think on the balance of play, I think we would certainly be pleased to get in at half-time. Certainly the last few minutes of the half, that's what we were saying on our Zoom group when we were watching the match. Um, I think it's worth and- one of the weirdest saves I've seen in quite a long time. Yeah, it- that, was a, that was an amazing clearance yeah. for Ryan, wasn't it? Um- one save down to his left quite early on, didn't he, from a hmm. um, shot. Um, but yes, that's right. I can't hmm. remember any him being really tested, but the um, as you know, that unorthodox save was was really really good. I mean, they hmm. they didn't show a, a pitch of um, how how close that was to going over the line but it, it looked really really close mm. to me it must have been yeah yeah it's good reaction and thinking to like be like oh I've, i don't know if my hands will be able to work so i've got to just prod out my left my left leg whatever and mm. uh, i thought ryan is looking actually back to his, his best i know he didn't have an awful lot to do but he was solid he it was a couple of times where maybe kind of if he, he called it looked like and other people got in the way instead but other than that i thought he looked really good i, do you I think he went on walkabouts a few times that got me extremely nervous near the ball as well um, hmm. I was going to say do you think he benefited from being dropped if that I is what that know. was yeah maybe just it's just uh, a gentle I, reminder I guess isn't it yeah maybe he was dropped or, or maybe he was the other party in the um, Mope disagreement hmm. yeah, yeah could be could be either way around I think it's good to keep him on his toes and he has looked sharper yeah, yeah you're right there's a couple of walkabout moments but he looked confident with his claims I thought particularly second half um, well that fairly standard that, stuff but still going around that was on the BBC um, rumour page that we're looking at signing Henderson in January on a on a loan I mean mm. I, I I can't see us really doing that unless it's a loan to buy yeah, I'd be surprised if we loaned the keeper for the second half of the season. Yeah. We've got Sanchez and got yeah. four keepers anyway, and a, a half-loan season doesn't do any good for us in the long term. I mean, he's, he's an amazing keeper, though. Yeah. I think I think he may well be better than De Gea, actually, um, now. Yeah, yeah, I think he is. 
Um, but I, yeah, I'm surprised that United aren't playing him more. But on the other hand, I don't think that he'll be the yeah will be the. Yeah. I, I I don't see it happening. I wouldn't rule out a keeper signing in the summer, but I yeah. don't think we'll be doing it mid-season. And depending on what happens with Ryan and Sanchez, that might be that Ryan leaves and Sanchez competes with a new keeper or something. But I, I don't think he'd accept staying a second choice here. Um, and he shouldn't do either. He's too good to be second choice in Premier League. Yeah. Hmm. So, interesting stuff. Um, in terms of the... Um, the second half of obviously we got off to a bad one, didn't we? Several minutes in, um, back to one all. Not great. I mean, we gave away a free kick. No complaints about that in particular. What happened afterwards, of course, is that uh, the free kick comes in and Conte is, well, he's left alone really, isn't he, to score. Again, it was all too easy. Um, you can say possibly Webster was amongst those possibly at fault for that, actually. Um disappointing and I guess at that moment we fear the worst don't we uh, thinking here we go again Villa are going to at least get a draw out of this that pretty much no I thought we were going to lose at that point to be honest if I'm honest I mean they, mm. they scored so early in the second half they looked so dangerous in the first half but then yeah, yeah the threat that they had first half never really materialised after that hmm yeah, yeah, that's it. Um, but I, I think Andy's having a couple of technical problems. Hopefully you're all right again now, Andy. <laughs> Can you hear us? <laughs> good, good. Excellent. Um, yeah, so, I mean, obviously that was disappointing, but the good news was several minutes later, back in front. And it was a little bit of a surprise, wasn't it? We had, well, White was involved in the attack. He laid it off to, oh, sorry, Morpé laid it off to White. White spread it wide. Grosh puts the ball in. And what looked like it, a, a cross that had gone wayward, a, a low pass effectively across the goal um, but, but in a deeper position um, but it turned out it wasn't it was going nicely to Solly March as long as Solly March could shoot with his right foot but he can't do that can he oh hang on a minute <laughs> yes no, he can told it's just for just for standing on we've been told I mean that was a brilliant move it really was um, yeah, I, and... I would say that is up there with the, with the Izquierdo goal at Stoke in one of my favourite Premier League goals that we've scored hmm. it was and also, you missed off Beltman at the start as well. Beltman played a really good ball into Mope as well. Yes, of... that's true. Yeah, yeah. So the whole move from start to finish was was great, and it wasn't great what... defending. They left the no. whole back end of the penalty area completely free for. But, I mean, but that, that, that was far across. Part, that was in part down to the movement of Mope and um, yeah. one. Other, I can't remember who it was. Um, uh, Welbeck as well. Yeah, yeah. But they should have had the defensive midfielder should have dropped in there. I mean, it wasn't great defending, but it was a lovely goal from our point of view. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, and I think our reaction we... to the conceding the goal was probably one of my biggest plus points of the game that we didn't kind of lose our way, which we could have done in that situation. I mean, you know, having held on for half time and then gone in at half time, one and up, and possibly retain, just make sure you've defended. You know, stick, stick with it the first ten minutes. I'll have a go at you, and then to concede like we did, and but then you know, kind of turn it round and actually you know really get mm. get on top of the game again was I was really impressed with. Yeah, I mean, uh, Peter, I think you're spot on. I hadn't really thought of these points, but I think you're spot on about us winning um, a tight game and it being us that scored after the opposition scored. Whereas, again, it's been the opposite this season. Mm. Um, Chelsea, for example. Yeah. Man United. United. Yeah. Our only league win this season so far was basically when we were cruising after 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, didn't really test us, so this was the first real win that really kind of we had to dig in for, and you know, and tested us. And we we passed with flying colours, in my view, actually. Can't really. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Um, I think one, one thing we forgot to mention, actually, in the first half, um, which, you know, I think it's only fair to say could have had a, a, an influence on the game, was Barkley, who's been a really good signing for Villa. And they've been playing really well early season, haven't they, in general? He's been part of that. And uh, he went off injured. He injured himself taking a free kick. I think he pulled his hamstring, didn't he, I think? Yeah. Um, so he had to go off early, which may have affected, well, it would have affected with a game plan. It may have affected the outcome. Who knows? Um so a bit of fortune as well. We have to give uh, fair uh, reference to that as well. We've not um, had a that this season, so I think we would do some some good fortune. I think generally. exactly, yeah. And for me, I think in general, I mean, we'll get into the incident near the end, which could have meant Solly March didn't get what proved to be a great winner that deserved to be a winner. But um, there was obviously the penalty incident. But uh, before that happened, um, generally I felt we were handling things pretty well. There was a lot of pressure from Villa. Obviously, they were pushing to try and get back in the game. But we did look really good defensively. I felt we were we were looking really well organised. We were keeping our shape. We were keeping our concentration, which was the element that has gone wrong sometimes for us. Um, would you agree with that? And was there, was there anything in particular about that? Because Lallana went off, and yeah. previously we've suffered when he's come off the pitch. But we my, seem one, to... my one worry yeah, later on, just very quickly then, yeah, very, is, was the fact that we were sitting too deep and we left hmm. Welbeck on his own up front. And he A, he looked a bit knackered, and B, he was totally isolated. So we every time we hit the ball upfield, the ball kept coming back. I mean, we defended solidly enough, and actually I don't remember him having particularly had a good chance second half. Um hmm. I don't think Ryan made a particularly great save or anything like that, but we did sit quite deep. It was it was quite Houston-esque in a way. We kind of dug in and kept putting more defenders on the pitch. <laughs> and, yeah. and in the end, it was kind of just like, kind of just them kind of playing the ball in and us trying to head it away. And that's, which was fine. I mean, I've no issue with us digging in and that sort of thing, but I thought we maybe we did it a bit too early rather than the last five minutes or something. We did it for like 15, I think it was probably towards the end. I mean, broadly, I'd agree with both of your points there. Um, the the thing that concerned me most was a point that I've made already, which is we start conceded so many corners and 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 free kicks. Um, mm. It was it was that that was concerning me. Um, but again, I I wasn't over enamoured with substitutions made by Potter. I mean, the Veltman for Lalana, in a sense, that's understandable, but that was a defensive move, um, mm. and. I think I've I've talked about um, Dan Byrne before. Uh, he did all right when he came on, actually, to be fair. Um, uh, and it was great to see Malambi get on, even if it was mm. only a few minutes. Yeah. Um, well, one person who didn't... It seemed very, very negative, didn't it? It was like kind of... It was yeah. literally like... I understand why mm. they kind of... Kind of why they brought Byrne on, because we were conceding a lot of set pieces and... They, were, they wanted a bit more. I mean, that's that's the slight antithesis we've got, really, because we stopped conceding set pieces when Dan Byrne started more. He was, he was like, we stopped conceding goals as well, but we also didn't look very dangerous going forward. Hmm. So it's a bit of a kind of 50-50, really. Do you play Dan Byrne, who looks who gives us more height and more solidity, and although he's not the best header, at least is a more solid option defensively, or do you play players who can get forward more quickly but then also have the issue that we've, we've not got loads of height at set pieces and no great headers for... It's a difficult well, one. We, we I, I mean, it, it was discussed that, um, in fact, Welbeck was kind of doing the Murray role at corners, and he got, you know, he was at the the near post um, and clearing a feature that's been really prominent in the Premier League this season, which is some um, corners that can't clear the first man. 
Yeah. And that's right. That's the other issue with, with Murray, isn't it? Um, missing out on his defensive work. Yeah. Um, Welbeck was doing that. We've had people like Morpé getting in those positions, but we've seen what happened there with the Man U game, for yeah. example. Not always ideal. And conversely, um, we don't seem able to score from a set piece at the moment. It's just, yeah. Yeah. We haven't um, scored one for ages, I have memory. Well, conceding set pieces obviously was a feature of the game. It's always going to be a feature of the game because, Peter, I'm sure you're going to get into a rant in a minute about Jack Grealish, Bambi, Mr. Floppy, because he flops to the floor. You could call him what you want. He he was up to all sorts oh, of antics. Right. Thanks. Yes. So um, I don't know if you want to fire away with that now. We've we've got to talk about Lamptey's uh, red card and yeah. also the elbow incident, but, but I don't know how you want to incorporate that as well. But I, go, go ahead, fire away, sir. I, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to go into it too much detail because we won last thing, but I do think he is, it is a nasty taste of that. I mean, in fact, there's no question Jack Grealish is a very talented footballer, hmm. but he, he doesn't, yeah, he definitely goes down far too easily. I mean, the red card for Lampley was the, definitely a wrong decision. It was his first tackle after he got booked the first time. It wasn't like it was consistent fouling. Hmm. It was, you could argue, slightly late, but it, he barely touched him. And, and Grealish, as always, made went down like he'd been shot. And I just don't see, if you're a referee and you, your job is to try, if you can, to keep 11 players against 11 players on the pitch, I think I don't think you should be trying to red card players. And if you're trying to keep players on the pitch, you should be not red carding for that. I just don't understand why he gave him a second yellow. If he'd been persistently fouling and he hadn't booked him yet, I can understand why a yellow card. But you see so many players get away with a second foul when, you know, when they could get sent hmm. off. And, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it's very harsh so soon after the first foul, definitely. Yeah. And I didn't think it was anything particularly overly physical about it. Yeah, it was almost, he was looking at the ball and... It was made of the elbow. I thought it was a pretty clear, he swung his elbow. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's all very well to say, you know, he didn't make much, but, you know, didn't hit him much. But, you know, nor did Duffy against Palace with his head. But it's still, it's still the intention there of swinging your elbow back. Yeah. This is Matt Target on Veltman, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, Veltman did hold his face, and it, it caught him around the sort of the top of the top of the chest, well, neck area, which is a bit. Strangely enough, I thought it was Al Ghazi, and somebody else thought it was Trezeguet. So, I, uh, and this is probably a feature of the fact that nobody's made an issue of it. But yeah, I, uh, again, I'm going to join in, and I thought Michael Oliver had a meltdown. Um, he had a really bad yeah. kind of five-minute period or whatever. There's no way that Lamptey should should been sent off. No. Um, I, I'm not even convinced that the, fir- the first yellow was that bad. No, I'm, I'm not. Um, but there's, I think the he's second one or two where he'd given away free kicks earlier. It was hmm. so minor. And what annoyed me was he didn't book that Traore when Lamptey was um, in the first half. Absolutely. When- Pushed him, didn't he? Yeah. When he was in full flight, which can be dangerous. Well, yeah. I mean, the way he landed, but also he was preventing a breakaway. And I thought it was an automatic yellow card for... Yeah, yeah. that's the one where he put the ball through and Welbeck couldn't quite get the end of it, but he'd lost his balance. No, no, it was over by the touchline. Yeah, about halfway line, wasn't it, roughly? He broke through in the first half as well, and they they basically stopped him by hauling him back a bit. But he he broke away again and put the ball through for Welbeck. Yeah, Yeah, there was that as well. And they didn't book for yeah. that either, and he... That's right. I mean, the one Andy's talking about was near the halfway line, and that was... that was. I mean, yeah, I, I agree with you on both of those. It, it and there was a us... on Mope as well, when the guy went straight in on Mope in the yeah. first half, was it? Um, yeah, that's right. Early. And it, it brings up two subjects which have been bugbears of mine, and I've mentioned them on this podcast before. One of them is 
the fact that we seem to lose out in these niggly foul scenarios all the time. We get bookings given to us all the time for what really doesn't constitute yellows, in my opinion, most of the time, except where it's persistent fouling. But just for individual incidents, we get yellows far too easily, as in not our fault, the referee's fault. And the second issue, which I've always had, is why the hell can the second yellows not be reviewed, where it's going to lead to a suspension? You're punished not just for that that game, which albeit was very near the end, but also the next match. And yes, I know it's Liverpool, and yes, I know we probably won't win anyway. But the AR, I said this when they had like you could appeal red cards. Why are they not allowed to appeal second yellows as well? Yeah, same. Yeah, with VAR, it's ridiculous. It's, I mean, it, it's a key fact of the game, isn't it? Anything, but no, because if you have a first yellow that's wrong, well, there's nothing you could do about it. You've got to get on with it and just not get another yellow card. But if you have a second yellow that's wrong. Um, then you, you should be able to say, well, actually, although I don't think that they just said it's clear and obvious just because they're idiots. Mm. And it's, a, it's a key talking that. point, though, when someone gets sent off, even late yeah. in the game, every single time they'll feature that on Match of the Day, and, and rightly so, but that just tells you it's key enough to yeah. be reviewable well, as a key element. The at all, did they? they focused on the penalty and, and the fact mm. that we could play quite well and Villa's defending, but they didn't mention a red card. Yeah, well, um, I, I'm, just more... I'm, I'm actually quite glad that they didn't because they were actually talking about the interplay between Mopay and, Mopay and Welbeck. And I thought, yeah. thought Shearer and Wright's analysis was, was really, really good. And um, this, this is one of the reasons why I try not to join in kind of talking about referees. It's, it's a distraction from what's going on yeah. in the pitch. True. Um, True. Uh, um, but, I mean, I, I was just having a look on, on the stats, and I'm sorry to, to do this, Russell, because I know it's your domain, no, that's fine. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> We've conceded 18 fouls to their five. I mean, mm. that to me um, sums up not the way we played, but um, I think primarily Michael Oliver, um, but yeah. also probably Jack Grealish. Mm. Yeah, I mean, my word on Grealish is, I, I agree with what's been said. He is a terrific player and he's on terrific form as well. Um but he does, I mean, the fact he's such a good player is the reason he gets the fouls because what happens is, of course, you've either got to just close in on him and he's got enough guile and skill to draw a, draw a, a contact of some sort. And it'll be very, very minimal, but that's all he needs. And then he flops to the floor. You either do that or you give him room. And if you give him room, you can get punished by him or by someone who's got benefiting from the space he's created. So either way round, he is a conundrum to deal with. And I, but I do, I get intensely aggravated with players who go down so easily at the very, very minimal of contact. Um, he's very Italian in that sense, isn't he? He's a skillful player that goes down easy. He's being clever and that sort of thing. And I just think it's a different form of cheating. If you're yeah, absolutely. Who, who brings about the contact with someone to get a foul, that's not that's not like being clever. That's cheating. If you're the one who actually orchestrates the contact and then hook your leg around someone to foot to then get tripped, that's not that's not being clever. That should be a that should be a free yeah. kick away. I mean it's um vindictive semantics, <laughs> you could say. You know, the the wording kind of almost it almost um validates the, the fact that it's happened it's like the Kane thing with the penalty he won the penalty he was clever he was he was cute as they like to, to call it now um a slightly irritating expression but um you know it's it's that isn't it it's you, you can understand that is part of the game um rightly or wrongly and you have to describe it as such but 
almost to celebrate it, um, as sometimes is the case. The frustration for me is that Aaron Connolly starting to get reputation apparently as being someone who goes down too easily. Yet, you know, in a penalty against United, obviously got overturned, that sort of thing. Yet, how is he any worse than Grealish or Kane or anything like that? But because Kane is England captain, because Grealish is England's new, you know, kind of supposedly hero, they get away mm. with it and they can do it. Shearer, for example, got away with so much over the years because he was England captain. But yet, Connolly yeah. is Irish and because no one really knows much about him, it's regarded as being, you know, maybe getting a reputation for going down too easily. And it's, and it's, it's about having a reputation... I think if your reputation as a quality player is established more as well, you look at people like Grealish, um, Salah, obviously, as well, Zaha. Yeah, a lot, a lot of players like that who are seen as skillful, quality players who go on the attack, they get the benefit of the doubt more often than not. And they do sometimes, I mean, they get, do get kicked a lot. There's no doubt about that. But they also do um, play the game, shall we say, um, to, to get decisions that they shouldn't do. Very frustrating. He wasn't alone, though, was he? Because right near the end, the result could have been in jeopardy. We wouldn't have been smiling as we are now. Even the rise smiles when we're talking about what we're talking about specifically here, the penalty incident. Um, Trezor Gay, who'd, who'd had a mare with his earlier chances, um, then had the chance to well, semi-redeem himself by winning a penalty, quote marks. Um, your take on it, guys? I mean, essentially, um, Grealish, good bit of play, he feigned to chip the ball in and instead slid a, a quite a, a clever pass into Trezeguet just inside the area. Trezeguet immediately cuts cuts the ball one way. Um, Solly closes in. He gets a touch, which wasn't immediately obvious um, to the referee or to some of us watching. Um, he did get a touch, made a touch on the player just afterwards. Um, Oliver gave the pen. VAR asked him to have a look at it. He eventually looked on the monitor and overturned it. Uh, what's your opinion on it? Um, Andy first, your... I'm not entirely sure uh, um, that Solly did actually touch him, and I think one of one one of the reasons why um, it was uh, um, Oliver changed his opinion on that is I think Trezeguet was diving before hmm. there was any contact, if yeah. there was any contact. Yeah, his um, arms go up, don't they? Just as the contact, if there is one, is being made, or the yes. anticipated contact. Solly's reaction wasn't great. Was it? Because mm, um, he did a sort of like a apologetic hands in the air thing. Yeah, which could have actually cost us. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we haven't had the opportunity to, to say this much of late, but that was actually VAR working quite well, I thought. Um, yeah. And Peter, would you agree as well? Yeah, no, I mean, not I, a penalty, was it? If he did touch him, it was very, very minimal. He clearly. Hmm. I, mean, I actually was. I, I saw. I thought he got the ball. My initial reaction was he got the ball, and then the referee took a while to blow. And actually, looking at the replays, the referee had a perfect view of, of him kicking the hitting the ball. So I, he shouldn't have given a penalty initially. Really, yeah. if you look at the angle the referee's looking at it at, you can clearly see from the from the replays that are shown that that he can see that March got the ball, which. So yeah, I'm not the ball changes, in the first changes direction distinctly, um, doesn't it? Trezeguet did dive, and there's no question about it. He, you don't go back with your throw your front, your the bottom half of your legs behind your the top half of your legs like that, and go throw yourself that far in the air if you're fouled naturally. You're, as, mm. as Andy said, he probably was already on the way down. What What really annoyed me was the rubbish coming from BT Sport, though. Martin Keown talking absolute drivel and well, not a clue what he was talking. Uh, yeah, about. Ma- Martin Keown played over 100 games for Villa, and then there was that idiot, Peter Walton. Yeah, I was going to say that. Oh, God. Villa fan, isn't it? 
Bar's job to get the right decision. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he was talking about, um, he was saying VAR's um, point isn't to make decisions, it's to to see clear and obvious mistakes and only overturn them. Well, yeah. um, It was. It it was. (laughs) Clear and obvious that Michael Oliver admitted. I don't know what needs to be, (laughs) Oliver obviously missed March get the ball, March got the ball and there was hardly any contact. I don't know what could be more clear and obvious than that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I did actually feel um, my, my automatic default is to feel negative when I see these up in the air decisions because it just never goes our way. But I was strangely confident, actually, with this one, which also tells you something uh, along those lines. I mean, it was there's no way was it a penalty. The thing the thing is, I was I've been moaning about our balance of luck in terms of decisions. As far as I'm concerned, we haven't this isn't balancing out. This was just correcting a mistake in this match we're still if anything in fact we've probably gone further in credit and because of the Lamptey sending off I don't think anything else was a wrong decision in the game but Lamptey shouldn't have got sent off so we're actually even further in credit as far as I'm concerned yeah the elbow scenario as well yeah I and Lamptey. It was interesting last year, people were putting up tables of VAR decisions and what the difference would be and saying oh this this team's the most lucky in the division it's like no it's it's the correct decision. It's not yeah. not like throwing a dice and seeing it exactly. Team. And I hope that's not going to be the correct decision. I, I hope in the perception of referees that they're not thinking, oh yeah, Brighton have had one today. You know that, that it's you know they've been lucky or whatever. And Dermot Gallagher, by the way, on ref watch, he's not very um, very quick to. Well, I've noticed none of the decisions we get. He seems to uh, seems to um, to vindicate what we've said. But he he actually said that. Um, both decisions, the Lamptey sending off and the penalty, um, were initially given wrongly by Oliver. So that the overturning was correct and that Lamptey shouldn't have been sent off. Um, so so yeah. at least he's on our side this week. In terms of um, the penalty decision, all the BBC commentators that I've, or, or um, summarisers, hmm. have all said that it was right to overturn it. Yeah, Shearer yeah. was quite clear on match today. It was the correct, correct decision. Well, as well. On Radio 5 as well. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, Andy, I'm conscious you've got to, you've got to head off uh, in a moment at the end of this first really part. Just, <laughs> just, just before you do, just quickly, anybody else of note to mention from the team who we haven't mentioned so far and who's your man of the match? Yeah. Um, I just had White as man of the match, but there's, there's hmm. the, the people to mention, Basima had an, Absolutely storming game. He, yeah, he was good in that role so well, um, mm. and he's very, very important to how we play. Um, going back to that question that um, Peter posed, um, I want Solly as our left wing back and not Burn. Um, Lamptey had a great game. Welbeck had a great game. Uh, well, it wasn't particularly a question as well. I, I, I agree, yeah. it's definitely a much better option there. It, it's just that we do look more susceptible to set pieces, which is why I think Burns been. Yeah. I think um, Solly, there's Solly, lots, Solly had a good cross as well, um, which got cut out. But he, his his crossing looks like it's getting better too. Good. Sorry, back to you, Andy. Yeah, yeah um, there's lots of people saying that Grosh had a really good game. I I didn't quite see it actually, and I've been probably a little bit down on him of late, and might be reading him a little bit unfairly. Um, yeah, I thought he I thought he did well actually, to be fair, and I think his. Um, I won't, I won't bang on about stats on, on, it, on it, but I think his stats are always quite good. 
sometimes it, it doesn't seem to correlate with what you're watching. But I do think he had quite a good game. He looks better in the more central position, I think, definitely, rather than roving wider. Yeah, um, the, the, the argument about Groshen often that does he produce enough from open play? And I thought he did yeah. on. I thought he did a contribute much open play the other day. I thought he's well, well, he got he got an assist, and he's got over thirty. Isn't it? He's been involved in over thirty prem, of our Premier League goals. Yeah, yeah. I think he could. Ed Murray. He could often serve quite well. I think coming off the bench to replace Lallana or something like that. I think yeah. in games. If we need I to, thought my, to my man the match actually, without wanting to be boring and consistently say it was Lamptey again. I know he got sent off in the end, but I thought he was mm. superb again. He was, he was yeah. causing them problems. He was back down the other end of the pitch. He was in the centre of the pitch quite a lot until they're just roaming. He, that, that system suits him so well. It's like yeah. ideal for him. Well, but yeah, I agree. Well, White had a really good game. Bissouma, Welbeck. Hmm. You know, there, there was yeah. a lot of really encouraging Lalana for a half he was on. Yeah. I mean, I, I went... I went for Basuma, but like you, like you guys, I think um, it was by a very small margin, but, yeah. and that's a good sign that we've just said there were several players there that were all worthy of it potentially, and I mean that speaks for itself in terms of how well we played. I think overall, um, so great, great news uh, going into a tough set of fixtures. We've got Liverpool next at home, Leicester away, I think it is, isn't it? And then we've got Saints. Um, so we needed that win. We really did off, to, off the back of the other results being disappointing. Um, uh, just briefly for Andy, do you, do you reckon we can get anything with Lamptey out? I mean, obviously it's, it's the least impacting game to, to have Lamptey missing for because we're less likely to win that game. But nonetheless, we're more likely to have got something with him than without. Can we actually get anything from that match at all? Um, probably not, but <laughs> you, you yeah. don't know. They, they've got a load of injuries. Um, uh, yeah. you know you pointed out it didn't look like it for the list who I saw the game last night um, hmm. I think uh, we can score I think that's a we can definitely get goals against them because their defence isn't great but yeah I mean if Salah's back their front three is back and they've got Yotta as well who is having a brilliant start to the season yeah so. he's done well, well you, he? you were talking about a great cross by Solly Marsh that one that Robertson put in for that um, Yotta goal I mean that yeah that's delicious. In fact, it reminded me of um, Sebastian Pocignoli. Um, <laughs> Always brings a smile to your face, doesn't it? it. Do, do, do. <laughs> so, uh, and particularly the cross that he put in uh, in one of my very favourite games, which was when we beat Sheffield Wednesday yeah. 2-1 um, for knockouts winner. Um, and he put, put in a devilishly good one just prior to that as well. I do love a devilishly good ball. I'm sure we can all agree, though, if we um, if we've been a bit, have any chance of getting anything on Saturday, we've got to start better than we did against Liverpool last season. Yeah, only eight minutes or something, wasn't it? Yeah. Or and that, yeah. you know, that's that's what they'll do with us. Um, they they will press us high up the pitch. Um, and um, another thing about Yotta is he's as good as Mane and Salah and Firmino at. at um, Pressing high up. You can cover any of their positions as well. I mean, to be honest, I mean, if you look at it's hard to see anyone else winning the title given how they were a stuffed one of their notional contenders or teams yeah. that were up there with them without like six of their team. I know less than a few injuries as well, but yeah, yeah I mean, absolutely. I really hope Tiago's goes out this weekend because he is, he is another one who's a class act. Uh, yeah. Hmm. yeah. Well, 
fingers crossed that's all we can hope for at the moment um that game of course is the early kickoff on saturday um we'll be doing a preview of that we're hoping to get the scousers back and uh, one or two of the lads from the Anfield wrap uh, back for a preview episode before that match um but as for the villa game um Obviously a great result. Um, we've got a bit of a gap now to the teams below us. Um, the only team, as we speak, that hasn't played below us so far, um, or completed a game at least, is uh, Burnley. They're playing our old friends, Crystal Palace, and are 78 minutes in. They're 1-0 up, according to my uh, screen at the moment. So we could do with a, an equaliser and a, a nice little draw there, couldn't we, in that game, I think. Um, Andy, thank you very much for joining us, sir. Um, it's been a pleasure as always. Um, we'll see you again for another episode soon. Great. Thanks for having me. No problem. Cheers for now. Welcome back to part two of Brighton Rock Podcast. Uh, sadly, we've lost Andy. He's uh, somehow had other priorities this, uh, other than the podcast. But what I'm still what could there be? <laughs> So still here, me and Russ, and uh, we're going to talk through some of the news that's uh, gone on in the last week or so. Uh, but before we do, Russ, with it only being a month and a couple of days to Christmas, have you got any uh, any Advent calendars that you've lined up? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, it's only only a week till Advent calendar time would start, isn't it? Um, yeah, I did, and I went down the obvious avenue. I went for a beer advent calendar. Yes, that's right. Beer 52, actually. Um, I've, I've got the subscription with those guys and I decided to uh, splash out. So that came through on Saturday, actually, just in time for the game, which, of course, is irrelevant because I wouldn't be drinking the advent calendar beers yet. Um, but yeah, that looks great. And um, the delightfully creepy design on the outside of the box and really weird characters. There's this leafy face Santa thing and some other really weird cartoony characters um i think i'm gonna have nightmares peter you, have, have you gone down an advent calendar avenue at all funnily enough i have exactly the same advent calendar <laughs> <laughs> excellent um, are you having uh, nightmares uh well mainly just for other reasons rather than that <laughs> yeah. um but yeah randomly i also have i mean who'd have thought it that we'd both you know have have similar things that related to beer shockingly but, uh, i'm looking to uh what's it to next tuesday tuesday week so to open up the first of the uh, beers which will be a yeah. terrible hardship to do well what's really shocking is that we're speaking after seven o'clock on a on an evening and um neither of us are drinking any beer actually which is quite unusual for us um <laughs> especially in lockdown times um but let's get to some footy news shall we um there's been a few things i'll take them in random order really um first of all quirky bit of fun uh, Aubameyang and his Gabon teammates had to sleep on an airport floor during their international break. I'm sure uh, uh, Mikel Arteta was delighted with the way one of his players is having to uh, deal with the international break. Um, the break in general, of course, um, of all times, this is getting a lot of criticism for what are essentially are a lot of meaningless internationals. I know there's South American World Cup qualifiers going on and there's some Nations League games as well, which I suppose you could argue is competitive in a way. But a lot of games are just friendlies and it really is exceptional times. There should be exceptional measures in there, even though, of course, money talks. Um, but that's one thing that's been a bit irritating. Another thing in the news that's been raising its head, uh, and I use the pun, uh, well, rather poignantly because it's about dementia and the heading of the balls. Um, of course, ever since um, ever since West Brom's Jeff Assel, um, 
died essentially as, as a result of, uh, of such matters. Um, there's been a number of other issues. Nobby Stars in recent times, of course, uh, suffered from it. And we've now heard that Bobby Charlton is suffering with it. We've heard players coming out and saying that when they've been uh, in training or if they've had a in a match day scenario, they've headed the ball. Quite often they can sort of be seeing stars or, or feeling dizzy or whatever for a few seconds afterwards. So, you know, this is obviously having an impact on athletes nonetheless they're still people and they you know the head is ahead it's it's then there's only so much training you can do to absorb blows um boxers of course is is, is another big thing dementia heading football it's, it's a big issue when you look at how much money is spent on research i.e not enough with the pfa and you look how much their their bosses are earning per year uh it really doesn't sit too well does it what, what's your view on it peter <laughs> yeah, it's obviously a yeah a concern. I mean, it's obviously the balls are better than they used to be in terms of you know obviously they're not as heavy and you know much more lightweight. But it's still obviously if you continually, especially if you're a centre back, you know you kind of you're continually heading the ball away or something like that. Then you probably you know there is going to be some sort of element of you know it's not going to help you put it that way. So mm. I mean I'm not sure what happens. I mean. Is it even <laughs> football without heading? If that was found to be a definitive link, you know, is it? It would would it even be a, actually just you know able to play the game? So hmm. I don't know what you do about it, but it's obviously a, yeah, it's something that definitely needs to be looked into. Yeah, and I mean, I'm sure the the well, the, the, um, the clamour for something to be done is growing, isn't it? And I think that's that's got to happen sooner rather than later, hasn't it? Um, just one thing, actually, going back to the um, the internationals, I forgot to mention. Of course, the pointlessness of all the travel, the fact that we've got we're in COVID times and traveling around internationally seems all the more ridiculous than it would not normally do because of the risks involved. Of course, we've had Mohamed Salah, um, although apparently he might be back now. He, he's, you know, he's uh, he, he was attending his brother's wedding in Egypt uh, and was pictured not wearing a mask there. So that hasn't gone down too well in Liverpool, I'm sure. Um, but generally, traveling around is a risk in, by proxy, isn't it? Which is rather ridiculous. We had David Moyes amongst those who was complaining about the internationals and in particular about some of his players coming back with um, COVID tests having not been uh, or the results of COVID tests having not been announced when he's already starting his immediate pre-match training schedule on the I think it was on the Friday before the game that's ridiculous isn't it I mean it really shouldn't be interfering with yeah uh, the league games I think the real concern is that you know if you're if you're in a team if you're Brighton you can keep your players together in a group you can make sure Mm. they follow all the protocols you can you know take them you all travel together you all go to games together but if you're if you're playing, they all. If you're playing for international teams, they all come from all over the the globe. You know, some of them, the countries they play in, may not have any sort of protocols for this sort of thing. You know, the, the government regulations may be very lax, and, and you know, mm. we all know some governments are better than others. And I'm not saying this one's great either, particularly, but there are quite strict, heavy, you know, procedures in place for football. And mm. you, if you come in contact with someone who's come from a you know a player playing a country. But you know their league games in the country that's not so stringent in their rules, then it puts your players in danger. And it's yeah, it's I agree with you. I think the Nations League should have been scrapped, frankly, to be honest. This time, yeah. I mean, it's if COVID. They the European start Championship stuff, fair enough. But I wouldn't have played any friendlies. I wouldn't have played any Nations League stuff. I'd have just mm. avoided it. And yeah, I mean, co- co- especially with the league being so tight as well in terms of timings. You know, a lot of games to play in quite a short space of time. 
why not just not have those international breaks? Wait till yeah, March when things might be exactly. better. Exactly. I was going to say COVID's had the, had the effect of obviously there's the issue with travelling around and catching it, but there's also the issue of the compressed season as a result of the initial lockdowns and everything else. Um, soft tissue injuries and the likes of things like hamstrings and stuff like that. Um, I remember one player was talking about um, players tending to place their feet differently or more casually when fatigued. You know, they don't, they're not as sharp. They're, you know, when you're, when you're not at your best. Um, that's when you pick up those kind of injuries as well. and it's uh, Which is an interesting benefit that we had, arguably, that I actually was going through our team the other day and I think the 11 who started, I don't think anyone other than Lamptey went away on international duty. I don't think Ryan did. And then, obviously, no. Webster, Dunk, White, uh, March obviously didn't. Um, the Sumer, I don't think, did. I don't think Marley were playing, were they? Uh, who else? Lalana obviously didn't. Welbeck obviously didn't. Malpe didn't. Alzate uh, didn't. I mean, Colombia probably wished he was available and, and, yeah. and didn't go because they got absolutely so, battered. There's an awful game. lot of actually. Actually, of our, if you look at Villa, had probably a lot more in his nationals. Like McGinn, obviously Grealish, G- um, hmm. Mings, uh, yeah, etc. So I mean, it's yeah. actually we actually arguably benefited from that. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know this is jumping between subjects again because I've, I've broken the flow a bit here. But jumping back to the. Um, the the, um, the matter of head injuries, there was a, a related issue actually um, that's come up. Um, there's been a proposal that auto-subbing of concussed players um, is going to be um, is going to be made a compulsory thing. And in the case where you've already used your either three or five subs, depending on the rules, um, that an extra sub is permitted in that circumstance. So you would be able to bring on another player to well, to help prevent the notion of keeping a concussed player on the pitch, you know. Uh, but what that would mean is that if the opposition um, has another substitution, that um, they, they, well, basically the opposition can have a sub as well. So it, it doesn't create a sense of unfairness with four, four fresh legs versus uh, three sets of fresh legs. Um, I mean, I think it's a good thing, isn't it, really? Because there's no point taking any risk whatsoever with players who either are concussed or might be concussed um, somebody, I think it was, I can't remember if it's Joey Barton or somebody like that, but somebody was talking about having a five-minute window. But actually, you know, this 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 rule is better. Just get them off altogether. Uh, Absolutely, makes sense. Doubt then it should be. I mean, it all kind of a lot of it came out when Hugo Lloris carried on for a while after. Yeah, that's after right. Tottenham, didn't he? And um, yeah. yeah, I think it's yeah. If there's any doubt about any, I mean, to be honest, if there's any doubt about any injury, you should be going off really. I mean. You know, like, yeah, uh, that's right. And, and, because it's an enforced, it's going to be an enforced rule. I do like what they've done with giving the opposition the chance to make another change as well, which I think is good. It's only fair. So some sensible thinking for a change, which is quite nice. Um, another matter that came up this week, of course, following the farcical mess that Greg Clark got himself into um, re- related to his uh, comments to the TCMS and his subsequent departure. The FA are now uh, have formed a selection committee that's been set up to pick the new chairman um, who to be appointed by spring of next year, apparently. Um, Liam Rossinia, um, interestingly, has been picked as part of that selection committee. They've gone for some FA bods and some non-FA bods into the equation, which I think is a good idea. It's brought in a bit of diversity. I think one of the six in-house people is um, of Asian origin, uh, a female. I'm not sure what what her role is. It's some sort of administrative role within the organisation. Liam's one of the independent ones, obviously, who's been brought in, um, which I think is a good move because he he is an outstanding 
character in terms of his, his articulation, his thinking on the game, um, because he's a younger person and because he's recently been playing the game, I think that adds some other weight to the decision making. So that's a positive step on paper, at least. We'll see how it pans out. Um, one of the other people I note who was on that selection committee is Jack Pierce. I had a look to see if it's the Jack Pierce I thought it was, and it is indeed. Um, it's Jack Pierce that was manager of Bognor Regis Town for about 327 years or something. <laughs> he seems to have been there forever. Um, he played for them. He managed them for, I can't remember how long it was. It's something like 25 years or something crazy. Uh, and then I think he's got some sort of um, directorship role at the club now. But he's been on the FA um, admin uh, side of things for a while now as well. Um, obviously representing grassroots football and so on. So that's interesting. Um, so we'll see what comes of that. Um, I think it's it's good that they, they're at least being seen to do something. Um, hopefully it will lead to something as well. But um, yeah, I mean... Everyone's been very complimentary about Rossini, though. I, I noticed on the Ornstein and Chapman podcast recently that Mark Chapman um, was was particularly uh, glowing in his praise of him, actually, from having had a recent conversation with him. So um, that's good. Obviously, we're still waiting to find out if he'll be part of the uh, setup for Derby going forward with their new manager. But we'll see. Um, yeah, I mean, also, um, Colin has been at it as usual, I noticed this week. <laughs> Um, this time he's been downplaying his relegated, uh, the relegated team's good starts to the season, um, saying that that's only to be expected with their high wages and their good players, and that his um, his borough team has improved the position this season, uh, as a, and that being a real surprise. So it's unlike him to pick himself up like that, isn't it? Usually, um, it's the under the guys, uh, you know. Yeah, exactly. He just plays it's it under really them. boosted by being manager of our shit house <laughs> eleven and uh giving him a really yeah, big ego compared to before. He's floating on air, isn't he, after that, I think. Um he, I mean he's he, obviously a regular listener to the show. <laughs> he does always put it under the guise of bigging up his players, but ultimately I think he's bigging himself up, isn't he? When he does that kind yeah, of Yeah, I mean thing. the most the biggest difference is he wasn't manager there most of last season. So uh I think yeah. uh, he would he would regard that as being yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, that, that was ahead of them playing Norwich this week and they promptly lost, which was great. So <laughs> enjoyed that one. Um, yeah. um, also, of course, with the internationals, England's Phil Foden um, became the youngest player to score a brace for England. I don't know if you picked up on that this week. Interesting. I, well I done to him. Brace. I hadn't realised he was the youngest. Yeah. Uh, we mentioned briefly Lamptey in, in uh, dispatches. He impressed in the 21s in, I think, the first of their games, but he didn't play in the follow-up match, which was interesting. Malumbi and Modere continued to impress for their respective nations, Republic and for Poland, um, which was all, all good to see. Um, and then the DCMS committee chairman, Julian Knight, um, this week has been hugely critical, sorry, I should say last week, has been hugely critical. In fact, I think it's probably more careful, more accurate to say scornful, of football authorities, particularly the Premier League, in relation to negotiating a rescue package for Leagues 1 and 2. Um, I mean, this this obviously is an ongoing thing. There's been debating and there's been things going backwards and forwards. There is a lot of prevarication going on. And to some extent, I agree with him. I do think things should be happening quicker or seem to be happening quicker. Um, essentially, Julian Knight's saying there's there's some good points to be had from the initial project, uh, big or big picture or whatever it was called. Um, I think it's more about the inactivity since then more than anything else. 
Um, but I think not the move. problem is the big six will only do this if they get something in return. They're, they're mm. only interested in their own. So they'll just say, well, you should listen to our, or someone or two of them should be like, well, you should have listened to our ideas or whatever. Rather, so they will probably not be that keen to push forward other things. There's nothing with the Premier League, and I rather appreciate that we're in the Premier League, but with the Premier League, there is never anything without a kind of a, something in return. They will never do yeah. anything for the lower leagues without some sort of taking some sort of way the lower leagues can compete with them or, you know, attacking some sort of like you know, ability for the lower leagues to, to do something or whatever. So it's it's quite a mm. sad situation, really. But And in the end, the lower league teams will have to do it because they say they can survive, probably. But it's not really fair on, you mm. know, on teams who are, you know, kind of who are struggling to compete to then take away something else from them to, in order to get... But in exchange for money that should already be theirs anyway. I mean, Premier League has far too much of the money in the game mm. as it is percentage wise. Yeah. And, and I and I say that as a team in the Premier League. I've said it all along. I've always said it since Premier League has been go pretty much all the time it's been going. Um, mm. And it has far too much, so far too much money comparatively to other leagues, and it's ridiculous. And it's why mm. there is a bit such a big gap between the big six and the rest, but also then the you know, yeah. the maybe the top the top few in the Championship and the rest as well in a lot of ways and. Yeah, I mean, the government did announce um, a package of um, support for some sports, rugby union to a lesser degree, rugby league, a few other things got, got some money and there was the option for certain other sports to apply for funding if they needed as well. Um, conspicuous by its absence was football, also cricket, because I think this was a winter um, winter package, wasn't it, this thing? But football was conspicuous by its absence. I mean, it's difficult, isn't it? Because there is the other argument that why should Premier League clubs be bailing People out there, they're talking about how all the expenditure. It's not about bailing them out, though. That's the thing. It's about yeah. a redistribution of wealth to make it fairer across yeah. the game. It's not about yeah. giving charity to clubs. It's about the fact that there shouldn't be so much money in Premier League and there shouldn't be, you know, so much compared to the lower leagues. Yeah, I think Knight's issue with it is that it's just everybody's bumbling about and nobody's getting the, you know, taking a grip on the matter. Yeah, it will solve itself, aren't they? They're hoping it will go back to normal hmm. and then they don't have to do anything. But then it, a bit like the, um, you know, kind of like other things that happens, you know, if you don't do anything, then eventually it just solves itself. But hmm. I mean, if, even if we do get end up back to full crowds by the end of the season, there'll still be a lot of clubs struggling and... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing. One thing actually with um, the price of football mentions this week was that we're talking about the expenditure being really high and it make, looks very grotesque. But what they did actually mention, which is a good point, I haven't been mentioned before, was that a lot of the money being spent was being spent on championship players. So so some of the money is going through. That's more to do with the championship than League One, to be fair. Although there is a cascade effect as well, because, for example, Brentford spent money on Ivan Tony from Peterborough and so on, you know, so it does cascade down to some degree. Um, Ollie Watkins, obviously, that led to a, a payment of four million or so to Exeter as a, as a sell-on fee. So some of the money is coming through. I think that's a point that needs to be made that we haven't mentioned before. Um, so hats off to Price of Football for flanking that one up. Um, and also, uh, yeah, I mean, it's getting a balance, isn't it? So certainly we can help a bit, but it has to be a, a, a redistrib redistribution of wealth is certainly the thing. Um, yeah, that, I, mean, that's the thing is I don't, don't see it as charity. I see it as the lower leagues getting what's fair for them. And I'd be a hypocrite for saying it in, when we're in the lower leagues and then changing my mind now. And I, I, I'm no way do. I think the Premier League are far too wealthy compared to, to other leagues. And actually, if if the Premier League had less money, there'd be more realistic wages in the, the clubs. And yes, we might lose one or two top players to Europe, whatever. But actually, it'd be a much fairer, more equal league probably as well. 
with wages yeah. being much more affordable and much more realistic. You may not need champion, you know, parachute payments because teams actually wouldn't be, you know, lose so much money by going down. And it, and it would, and then the lower leagues would be fairer as well because the championship, the parachute payments make it so much, so, so unfair as well. Hmm. And the other thing that Kieran mentioned on his podcast was um, about the um, the fact that the League Cup, the, the vast majority of the money that's uh, generated through the League Cup is through the TV. And apparently the prize money for winning the League Cup is £100,000. That's crazy, isn't it? Um, surely there's got to be a, should we say, a more comparable model to the FA Cup in terms of prize money at the earlier stages. I know that that predominantly helps non-league clubs and maybe League Two clubs in the those earlier stages, League One clubs. But but surely the League Cup, as it currently stands, needs a reworking. I think. Um, and if you can have a system where greater amounts of money are are put through from the TV money, if necessary, but but are put through to those clubs through the various stages, the various rounds. I think it needs yeah. a restructure as well. I mean, in a way, um, the final I'm not so worried about because I don't think any of the clubs who get to the, like to get to the final without bothered about winning a 500 grand as compared to 100 grand or 1 million. Mm. But yeah, I mean, if you have more prize money through the earlier rounds where clubs are in, where actually clubs might be more interested in playing it then. But, yeah, I was I was astonished it was such a low amount. That's really mad. I mean, that's um, part of the reason. I mean, in a way, no one really takes the League Cup very seriously. So in a way, 100 grand, I suppose, is fair enough. No one really yeah. worries about it, do they? I mean, if you look at the teams, teams play and that sort of thing, I mean... Mm. Yeah, true. I suppose so. Um, one other bit of news that's just come out, breaking news, as we're recording this, Burnley have indeed beaten Palace 1-0. So on the one hand... The teams you want them to beat and beat the teams you want them to lose to. <laughs> they did it on purpose. Um, it's annoying, isn't it? Apparently they're, Ben Tetris is late on. Yeah. <laughs> well, there are four points ahead of us um, now. Palace and we have well we're only one behind on goal difference so technically we'd have the edge if we could catch them um, in terms of goal difference there um, but what it does mean is that Burnley have come out of the relegation zone so the table now at the end of the weekend is well Sheffield United on one point after losing home to West Ham West Brom on three points after losing to Man U uh, rather controversially I think Fulham managed to lose as well to Everton they're on four points then you've got Burnley are now up to five and we're on nine with Newcastle, who I think are really looking like a possible candidate, on 11. Leeds um, also on 11 with a better goal difference. And Man City, albeit with a game in hand, on 12. Um, we could actually, if we beat Liverpool, <laughs> if we could potentially go above Man City, despite a poor run of results. Until I'm not going to get carried away with that one. I agree with you about Newcastle. I mean, obviously, they were dreadful against us. I thought they were poor against Chelsea at the weekend. They didn't even, you know, kind of lay, lay, a, lay a glove on Chelsea at all. They kind of, it was very reminiscent of the way Houghton played against top teams. Mm. You know, they didn't even try really. They, they they sat back so deep and Chelsea just walked through them on various occasions. And yeah. as Chelsea, had, if Werner especially had his like shooting boots on, he'd have, it been, could have been like five or six. You, you look at them and they... I, I still don't just... understand how they've got 11 points to be honest, given the... No, at the time, well, I, I think, think Wilson... Wilson's helped. In fact, Hendricks uh, had a key moment in one goal, I think, uh, for one game. But I think Wilson's made a bit of a difference. I wouldn't say he's been amazing, but I think he's he's popped yeah, up. And he, and he obviously was out got, Saturday, so obviously that was a blow for them. But Yeah. But you look at them, there's not much meat on the bone, is there? I look at that team and I think that is a team that could struggle. Say if Wilson gets injured anyway, for example, there's not much else going on there. So Maximan's not really having the same impression 
uh, making the yeah, same and impression. Carroll's okay as a sub in the last ten minutes, or whatever, but he's not mm. going to regularly start and play. And yeah, yeah. They, they, Tim and Joe Linton obviously has hardly exactly set the world on fire since signing. I, I think yeah. they're very much, you know, very realistic candidates. Leeds yeah. as well after their, you know, notionally they're really good starts to the season. Really don't yeah. look that 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 great. You know, they've obviously got. You, you can say play. they would probably consider they're playing well. But then they're still not getting as many results as they need, so that well, that doesn't bode well, does it? Almost the whole half the other day and didn't manage to score. Yeah. Um, Speaking so yeah. of which, Burnley, of of course, Burnley. That's another clean sheet for Burnley. Their defence is bizarrely good, considering yeah, how low down in the table now as well. Which was I think it his first game mm. of the season against us, wasn't it? Typically, so. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So there's that. Um, I don't know if you've got well, any other. The player who should be England's number one goalkeeper in goal as well, which. I think the, I was just reading the BBC some comment where uh, I think the only people who regard Pickford as better than Pope are Pickford himself and Gareth Southgate. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, there's, there's always a good side. So, so Burnley winning, it does at least mean Palace have lost. Ha ha. <laughs> and of course, it was ex Albion man Chris Wood who got the winner. So, um, that's good to, good to see that. Well, that will great, great them a little bit, won't it? Um, I think that's about it from my side of it, news wise. Have you got anything else to add there, Peter? I don't know if you've got any other burning issues. Um, nothing. Oh no, we missed. We missed off the um, the the announcement today, didn't we? About the stadiums. Oh yeah, <laughs> that one. <laughs> Just one one minor bit of news. Fans might be allowed to come back to games. Can't believe we missed that one off. Um, what's happened with that, Peter? We've we've got an announcement today that we're allowed back um, well, after the lockdown finishes. Lockdown, yeah, and it's, yeah. It, the announcement seems to be that it'll be four thousand. So this is where I've. I've got a, and Andy was saying a different view, interesting before we were chatting earlier, and so it's worth flagging both sides. It, it, apparently, tier one you'll be allowed four thousand, tier two you'll be allowed two thousand, and tier three you won't be allowed anyone at all. Um, mm. I think Brighton probably be in tier two, so probably be about two thousand allowed potentially for the Southampton game conceivably, um, mm. which is a very quick turnaround on that. The my concern from a point of view of you know kind of a fan, a, a fan is. It's, there's arguably a debate about fairness. So in a mm. way, you know, if you have 4,000 fans at home to one team and then the team you play away to next week can't have any fans, is that is that fair? And, you know, and ironically, this could benefit, mm. if it's just going to be a set level, will benefit teams with smaller grounds because it would be a much better atmosphere in a smaller ground, I'd say. Yeah. And then in, say, Old Trafford with 4,000 people because it's Yeah, so- that's right. Um, yeah. The other thing is they've got a fifty percent thing, haven't they? Which, but that's to do with smaller, smaller grounds. Um, yeah. So you're not allowed more than fifty percent. So if your ground holds five thousand and you're in tier one, you can't have four thousand. You can. Have but if, you're, if you've got an eight thousand or ten thousand stadium and you've got yeah four thousand fans mm. in there, actually that's a pretty good atmosphere, you know, as compared to an eighty thousand one with four thousand. Yeah. Um, and it might be back to normal, actually, in yeah. some cases. And the other mm. side is, as I was discussing, when Andy was discussing earlier, is that yeah, you arguably you want to get back, and I understand this. You want to get back to getting fans in as as quickly as possible, and I I get that. Mm. And it's not going to be fair. You can't guarantee people in all areas and that sort of thing. And mm. and I and I can see completely the point there. It's just a yeah. I it's mm. I think more maybe more in the lower levels where there are smaller stadiums, it could be a bit of a a sore point that some teams can and some teams can't. And yeah. as you say, a lot of teams don't get 4,000 regularly anyway. So yeah. actually could I mean, get their full crowd, probably with no away fans as well. So actually, hmm. it'll be even more of an advantage, arguably, than it would be normally. I mean, it's going to be great to have um, for, for the non-league clubs, um, particularly in the National League level, where they've not been able to have fans all season. Technically, they're now allowed back, I think. Um, 
so you know that's that's going to give them some much needed funds that will help as long as we can we can keep that going obviously things could change uh they always could with this scenario well um, hopefully this is the worst that it's going to be now hopefully we'll yeah. borrow maybe a bit after christmas when if chris people have been together at christmas it might drift again but hmm. you feel like for the first time in a while hopefully this is the where we can see the other side of it and maybe we're looking at a point where at the end of the season we might get full stadiums even you know might actually get you know certainly you hmm. know or at least even like 15,000 at the Amex or something, you know, proper with the chance of moving back to full stadiums in the new, in next season. You know, it feels like, mm. whereas before it felt like we were a long way off going to even going to games. Now it feels like there actually could be some action this season. And yeah, yeah that would be good. Um, yeah, I, I think so. Let's, um, let's hope it can stay as it is now and at the very least. And then we can slowly build up and replenish finances for clubs up and down the land and I think I'll go I'll probably well I'm, I'm in a bubble with a few people with the intention of going if we manage to get um tickets and that's obviously now back on the agenda so it might be very weird to go to a game particularly if it's as little as 2000 there um it might be very strange but I'll, I'll report back on that if I get to any other matches um, like most places are going to be in tier two from the sound of it so yeah at least so, tier yeah. Two. so there probably won't be many places with 4000 people but there'll be Quite yeah. a fair number with two thousand allowed. There's the question of travelling from a tier one area to a tier two area. I yeah, suppose, which is, then, I did wonder about that earlier. Yeah, because if you're doing it by public transport, there might be an argument that you shouldn't do that. But if you're driving by car and you've been self-isolating, isn't that okay? Probably. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. Well, we are sponsored by Seagulls over London. Um, if you want to find out information about how to join, if you live or work in the capital. You can check us out by www.seagullsoverlondon.com. Peter and I are both on the committee. We're both members. But, um, you know, if, you, if you're interested, check us out on there. If you want to contact the show here, the podcast, it's Brighton Rock Pod on Twitter. So at Brighton Rock Pod. And you can also email us on Brighton Rock Podcast at gmail.com. Um, we just had a meeting, actually, didn't we, Peter, in the week? And it was excellent. We had Paul Hayward, prominent sports journalist and Albion fan, um, joined us to talk about his career. He's writing a book on England, which is going to be out in about 18 months' time to coincide with the, I think, 125th anniversary of the England-Scotland game, which I think was the first international, wasn't it? Um, and he was he was great. He was really agreeable. Lots of interesting conversations. Um, he was He was very amiable seemed to enjoy himself chatting to us a lot which I don't know how he managed to do that <laughs> no um, no it was a really good evening and um, we're really delighted to have him on we've got some other good guests coming up um, as well so we recommend if you are eligible to join then please do and um, okay, we're doing a lot of stuff maybe to go back to a pub again and have a meeting yeah exactly yeah That's in the meantime yeah it's zoom until then but hopefully we'll be back in pubs at some point um, so yeah check us out uh, if you want to join up um, in the meantime, Peter, I think that rounds it up, doesn't it? Um, so uh, we'll do another podcast. We're going to do a preview before the Liverpool game, all being well. We've also got, speaking of non-league football, we've got uh, a special coming up with Southwick, uh, related to Southwick's um, in, uh, interesting activities going on there. There's There's been some shenanigans afoot. And we'll explain more when we do that one next week. We're going to have Andy Bravery back, who has a connection with Southwick, actually, from the past. Um, he'll be joining us for that podcast as well. All of that to come. But in the meantime, Peter, stand or fall? Up the Albion.
Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, only prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.